listening to On The Road, Australia's number one weekly podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. Here to bring an independent voice to truckies right around Australia. On The Road is brought to you by Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. And NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Hello, g'day. Welcome to show number 177. A little bit of an interesting change for you today, a bit of a change in the lineup. Bob's got an interview with Dean Croke today, which is uh, a guy that some of you will know from the Grumpy Pete, as Bob points out when, he's in, when he does his introduction. I'm not going to repeat all that, but Dean is a, a, a great guy. He's had a couple of pieces in Truck and Life with us. Works very hard in the analytics side of trucking in the US made a bit of a name for himself over there with DAT and comes back to Australia and uh, Bob and and Dean have been great mates for ages, interesting for them to catch up at the BP truck stop at Archerfield now, I cut a fair bit of the background noise out of that interview, it might sound a little bit tinny in spots sorry about that, but there are a lot of trucks, a lot of reversing beepers and a lot of other stuff going on done the best I can with it in the limited time that I've got uh, and I hope you enjoy the interview Andy's back in with some music got another track from Jeff St John bit of a music feature there and Felicity Urquhart and Josh Cunningham round out the show I've also caught up with uh, Craig Forsyth who as you all know is my partner in On The Road Radio and Truck and Life magazine uh, he's been elected Vice President to the National Road Freighters Association and the NRFA conference, which you've heard us talk about, happened um, this last weekend down in Shepparton. Uh, I'd like to congratulate everyone there. It seems like it was a fantastic conference. A little bit of a change in the format to the way it was supposed to be. The conference was going to be sort of focused on the closing the loopholes bill, but that went past through the, through the uh, parliament last week, and obviously they had to change the focus of the uh, conference and do a little bit of, uh, I suppose, uh, rejigging. But the conference apparently went very, very well. It was very well attended. And it uh, looks like we've given away another advertising package on the radio station. That's okay with me. Bob and I were going to do the news together. Uh, and we recorded the news together. And, of course, I've gone to have a look at the file. And I don't know what's wrong with it. There's some sort of a hum through it and that. I don't have time to rectify it. So I am just going to go over a couple of pieces of news and uh, then we'll kick into it from there. So the two pieces of news that I particularly want to look at is the first one is this uh, machine learning cameras. Transport for New South Wales are watching us. They're installing more and more of these cameras. You know the ones I'm talking about. They've got a couple of solar panels hanging off them, a couple of cameras hanging off the top of them, and... Uh, the most common example we probably see at the moment are the ones that are sitting on the bridge there at South Gundy where you cross the river. Now, these cameras apparently uh, have a radar sensor on them and they sense the vehicles uh, coming towards them and they decide it's a heavy vehicle and they take a photograph. According to information provided by Transport for New South Wales, the units, the units are also able to track changes in the load. So the AI apparently compares... Uh, the same trucks and sees what different trailers they have on them. They're great, apparently a great piece of information uh, generation and collection technology. 
New cameras are going to be installed on the Golden Highway Denman Road at Denman, the Barrier Highway at Ningen, and Burke Road Kidman Way at Cobar. There are a heap of them around. I suppose the ones that we see, as I say, are the ones down at Gundagai. I've seen the ones on Foreshore Drive at Port Botany. There are a number of other places. According to Transport for New South Wales, the cameras are not being used for enforcement and will not monitor people or private vehicles. The cynic in me says that that may not be the case now, but I can I would be prepared to bet that sooner or later these things are going to be used for uh, comparison to records or something to collect tax. God, that's never happened before, has it? And uh, who knows where enforcement goes. I uh, I struggle with all this sort of stuff. Yes, they've got to have information. I understand that. And, uh, you know, you can call me a conspiracy theorist if you like, but how many times have conspiracies been shown to be correct over the last bloody few years? The next piece of news... Uh, which I wanted to talk about briefly, is the new truck techs that they're talking about in uh, in Victoria. This definitely is a case of history repeating itself. If you have a look back in the 50s, 60s and early 70s, you'll see that government, government regulations were changed to favour the rail industry and, and uh, punish the, the trucks and things like that. Without any understanding or without any seeming understanding of the fact that Trains don't stop at supermarkets. Everything's got to get to the train, and that happens by truck. Everything's got to get away from the trains. That, once again, happens by truck. So the uh, Victorian government are in such a parlous state financially that they've decided that they want to uh, produce another road freight tax, reportedly uh, on trucks loading and unloading at the Port of Melbourne. Now, this has come under fire from all the usual suspects, and uh, usual suspects, all the people that are complaining about it, and I can't say I blame them. Shadow Minister for Ports and Freight, Roma Britnell, said Labor must immediately rule out uh, imposing any truck tax on the Port of Melbourne. It's a ludicrous approach by Labor, which will raise the cost of freight on the roads, costing Victorians more for their goods. Statement of the bloody obvious. Instead of making... Uh, road freight more competitive what they've done they've done their best to make it a little bit harder for everyone Mildura Regional City Council Mayor Liam Wood has said the new tax would be a financial hit for the broader community commodity groups and local growers given the ongoing need for major upgrades on the rail network including completion of the Murray River Basin Rail Project uh, the region is uh, heavily reliant on road transport, meaning they would be among the region's hardest hit by the new tax. Increased costs would be borne by the local transport operators, which in- indeed, I suppose, would eventually pass them on to the growers and the businesses that, that uh, to use them. Of course, the broader community then suffers as a result of that. They need, He says that they need more information from Victorian government as to how the income from this new tax will be spent. The information that he really should be asking for is an answer from the Victorian government and probably all state governments as to why they feel it's okay every time they need some more money just to reach into the pockets of those in the transport industry to try and prop up things that they haven't funded properly in the first place. As I said, ages ago, when I did a little bit of research on uh, the excise and and, uh, fuel usage and things like that, $7.5 billion dollars. $7.5 
they raised in fuel access in 2020. That's just diesel. $7.5 billion out of the transport industry. So it's not as if we don't already pay our way. The registration charges, the fees, the bloody excises on fuel, all the things that we pay for, you know, port charges and things like that, absolutely bloody ridiculous. Every time we turn around, someone's sticking their hand in our pocket. The Victorian government think they can do it again. Unless there's a protest of some description, unless people just say no, then they will do it. And we know what it's like in Victoria. It's a bloody failed state as far as finances go. You've only got to look at their bloody payments and their uh, their uh, their bills. Unbelievable. You can blame it all on Dan too, by the way. That's my opinion. All right, moving on with the show. Thanks for listening to me. Sorry about the extended news. Unfortunately, these things happen sometimes. Join us live on Wednesday night for Wednesday Night Live when we'll be back and we'll be talking about a lot of things there. Of course, next Saturday uh, for Saturday Night Live as well. We seem as though we're going to be back to some regular programming now for a little while. I think our next engagement is in Perth for the 24th of March for the Mac Muster. I think that's that's our next engagement, which may cause some disruption, disruption to the show. We'll see how we do. Apart from that... Send me an email if you want to uh, to let me know what's going on. Give me a ring. All my contact details are well known. And uh, look on the Track of Life uh, webpage if you don't know them. Catch you later. This last weekend has seen the Conference of the National Road Freighters Association held down in Shepparton. We've caught up with the newly elected vice president and a friend of mine, Craig Forsyth. Craig, good morning. How are you, mate? G'day, Mike. How are you going today? Oh, I'm absolutely wonderful, mate. You've had a big weekend down there in Shepparton. Oh, mate, I, I could only explain it as huge. <laughs> huge. We've had a great evening. A little bit dusty this morning, I've got to admit. <laughs> I'm not surprised. We did. We did. We, we had reason to celebrate. Um, you know, good time to catch up with some good friends down here. So, yes, no, we've had a, a wonderful conference. We had an AGM on uh, Friday night. So we do have a newly elected board. Um, so, some, you know, exciting moves going forward. And, and we do know because we spoke about it. We've had um, some legislation passed through the parliament this this last week that will benefit the transport industry. Uh, a whole new toolbox to use, as they say. <laughs> All right, so let's get down to business then. You've had your AGM let's, on the weekend. What's the? Uh, you said there's a new lineup at the NRFA. What's that, mate? So the new new elected president, uh, Glenn Castanelli. So Glenn has been working tirelessly, uh, travelling to Canberra like twelve months ago. We um, we had a chat and we we talked about this forging a path to Canberra, and and we've done it. And you know, here we go. There's some legislation passed. To, to you know, put a proof in the pudding. So he's he's uh, Glenn's been elected to president. Rod um, Rod has has gone to a role as past president and still an important part of the industry and what we do. Rod now will be focused on um, you know the, the parking bays, rest areas. So he still stands on that committee with me. So um, I was elected to the vice president's role. Uh, Julie Downey is the national secretary, and and my darling wife is the treasurer. So we've still got board members: Gordon McKinlay, Mark Reynolds, Chris Rowe, who did get an award uh, last night. 
uh, Chris, Chris's efforts in in this advocacy role have, you know, been um, been amazing. It's um, yeah, and he's still here to see some more changes now, and and was involved in even like back in the era of Razorback. So, you know, it shows a commitment from some people. Our good friend, Mr. Glenn Yogi Kendall. He's uh, been nominated to the board again. Mark Brown, Dave McDonald, Marcus Cosgrove, Louise Smith, and Karen Woods. Okay. So that's that's the lineup of uh, of the board for the National Road Freighters Association for 2024. They are all volunteers in the role, aren't they? They're not no no paid advocates. So you know, I, I wish we had millions of dollars to to help support our board members, but we we simply don't. But we do it anyway. Um, so uh, moving along then, who won the awards? So the Terry, well, well, we'll start with the Terry Bradley Award. So that that's a commitment uh, from from a female in the industry, and that went to Andrea Hamilton Vaughan. Awesome, well done, Andrea. Gordon McKinley, he he was awarded with uh, the life life membership, and Chris Rowe. And oh, jeez, man, I, this this award eludes me right now. Um, be the Noel Porter Award, was it? Not the Noel Porter. Oh, you've actually had that, haven't you? So I've you should had, have known that. I've had a Noel Porter, yeah. yeah. Thanks for your help there. It's all right, mate. Yeah. But, yeah, so Chris Rowe got that. Um, yeah, so that's where the awards went. Very, very worthy recipient of the award. Congratulations, Chris. Yeah, so we did, you know, I think we had 100 and, 120-odd people at the conference and over 100 for the dinner last night and... Which went on well. We we made made a few bucks out of some auction items. Okay. And um, and then came back to our our Paradise Lakes Motel where a few of us kicked on till the early hours of the morning. The conference was a bit of a hit. Oh, it was a great success. And I, I've got to got to thank some of our major sponsors uh, like VDAC. You know, if you if you're after after your telematics. They're, they're the guys to go to, Hubfleet, um, HBP Finance, TBI Insurance, NHVR, we're proudly there um, with a stand to sponsor us, and My Drive, who um, had, a, had a driving simulator there, so that was all very good. No worries. Well, I'm pleased it all went well. Sad that I missed out on it, but uh, that, that's the way it goes. Oh, I could say we missed you dearly, Michael. You miss me with every shot. Um, every shot. <laughs> Righto, mate. Well, you have a good day and uh, Righto. rest and recover, Man. and we'll see you down the track. Thanks, Michael. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents, and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page.
Hi there. Uh, something a little bit different for uh, something to talk about this week. Uh, I'm in Brisbane and uh, one of my uh, very best mates who uh, only comes back to Australia occasionally these days is uh, an expat resident in the States, Dean Crope. Uh, you all may know him from the uh, Grumpy Pete uh, profiles on uh, Instagram and he's the uh, head analyst at uh, DAT Freight and Analytics and uh, anyone that's on LinkedIn or on uh, YouTube probably uh, sees uh, the reports that uh, Dean does with uh, Ken Adamo and uh, all the guests they have. But anyway, uh, we've been talking about all sorts of stuff about the differences between the uh, American market and the American freight market and the Australian freight market today and uh, Dean's aware that I've uh, asked the question recently whether... uh, these digital freight breakers that are being set up out here, which are based on the American Load Boards model that was pioneered by DAT when they first started out many years ago. Um, they, uh, and DAT is still probably the largest of them. My thoughts that uh, maybe those, that sort of uh, business model isn't suitable to the Australian freight market uh, has been expressed, and I'm interested to know whether uh, Dean has an opinion on that or not. So, welcome. Welcome back home, Dean. Yeah, thanks for you. Great to glad, glad to see you still have some sort of an Aussie accent. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what are your thoughts on, on, on the differences in the markets and whether uh, these these large freight breaking models are, uh, are, are helpful or not in the Australian freight market? Yeah, Bob, I, uh, I think in, in times of, when times are booming and there's, you know, a shortage of trucks and loads of plentiful, absolutely. I mean, brokers and shippers are always going to be trying to, trying to find capacity. But when things are quiet like this, it, it just you need a lot of volume in the freight market for brokers to work. I, I don't see the digital freight model working here in the US, in, the, in Australia, as well as it works in the US, mainly because of the population concentration here. So a lot of your freight task here is concentrated along the East Coast in particular. That's right. I think 80% of our population lives in 3% of the land mass here. That's exactly right. So your freight task is fairly dedicated. You don't have a lot of big shippers that create the surge in volume on a lane that a broker would need to try and find capacity to move those loads any given day. So, you know, the broker market in America works well because about 25% of all the freight moves with freight brokers. They provide a valuable service to shippers because because what the brokers do is they give a carrier access to a massive shipper they couldn't normally get access to uh, because the broker is dealing with a mega shipper but they're dealing with one truck operator at a time yeah, to fill so, a need. Yeah. On so a there, is, there is, is room for a middleman in those transactions. There is a, there is a need, but you need yeah. volume. Yes. But what you need more than volume is is inconsistent volume. You know, if you're running 100 trucks each day between Sydney and Brisbane, that's fairly predictable lane density. Yeah. You can match trucks and loads fairly easily. But if you've got a shipper that's moving 150 one day and 80 the next, that volatility on that lane is what gives rise yeah, and to... And across much more than two or three states. Right. That, and, and the difference in the states is you've got 48 states where the population spread. Yeah. Here you just don't have the volume, but it's not so much the volume, it's the volatility. Yeah. Here, this might sound strange to the listeners, but it's fairly predictable what, you know, what moves here. You don't have weather. Like in, yeah. in, well, we all know when the mango season is and when the yeah, citrus season is right. and when the you've got a tomato more, season yeah, is. Yes, you've got a yes. lot more predictable seasonality. That's what we have. Right? Yes. Whereas in the States, we have not only do we have seasonality, we've got the added layer of weather. Yeah. And weather is... I've never seen a country where weather can impact freight volumes and rates the way it does. So, for example, it's dead quiet in America right now. High interest rate 
week when things froze up across the US, freight volumes dropped about 10%, rates went up about 5%, yeah, just yeah. because of weather. Yeah, which is exactly the opposite of what you'd expect supply and demand to, uh, to, to bring about. Well, in America, this is the time season. Yeah, Everyone yeah. knows rates drop, mm. but we're now into the second week of the freezing cold, and I expect rates to go up again. Which is, which is great news for carriers because then they can start yeah, to get their yeah. margins. Well, up. that's important because the carriers, you know, like it always mystifies me how our shippers, consignors, as we call them out here, expect freight rates to right. go down when all that happens right. to our costs is right. they go up. Yeah. Now, the other reason, Bob, that brokers have a great need in, in the States is because the shippers, about uh, 80% of a shipper's volume moves on low volume lanes, one load yeah. a month. Yeah, right. Right? Now, so that'd be like. The equivalent, say Brisbane to Dubbo, rather than yeah. Brisbane to Sydney. Right. Yes. So, so what are the chances that a KNS freighter has a truck to run from Brisbane to Dubbo at the right time that load's ready? It's probably not very high. No. So that's where the broker can access small carrier capacity. Yeah. Who's from Dubbo? Yeah, fair wants to get yeah, back. Yeah, so that's yeah. where you need the volatility and the variation in volume on a lane for a broker. But all the all the carriers that would be qualifying for those. Uh, low volume lanes. They've all got websites and everything now, and a right. lot of it's done digitally. Right. A lot of the freight allocation, right. even right. even the bookings for pickups and that sort of thing. Right. You know, right. some companies now don't accept pickups by phone. You, you so that's to, the other thing. Go online. You know. when, when you started out in trucking, when I drove here in the eighties and nineties, you had there was a lot of. Uh, I remember you telling me that a lot of experience comes from poor judgment. Right, so we had to make yeah, a lot of mistakes. Mate. We had yes. to make a lot of mistakes to figure out the freight market, yeah, where to be, yeah. when to be, what to charge, what you know, when to we run. We even had to work out what public telephones were working and which weren't right. before the days of mobile phones. So today, you can understand the entire freight market on an app. Yes, so you can. Right. You can yeah. join the industry with low barriers yeah, to entry, yeah, yeah. and you don't have to spend twenty years making mistakes. No. You can pick up an app, pay for a subscription, and the entire freight market's there. Now, you still got to know what it costs to run a truck. Yes. But yeah. that's still, that, that hasn't changed. No, that hasn't. It won't. Right. But at yeah. least you can make a quick decision. Yeah. You can, yeah. You're a bit more nimble, okay. agile. Yeah. And uh, so that's why the market in, in the US works, because of the volume. Yeah. So with, yeah. with that comes the volatility, and that's where the brokers fit in. So what you're saying is that where uh, these digital freight breakers or low boards, as, as they first yeah. were known as, um, uh, are, are positive to the uh, freight market in the States. That's not necessarily no. true in Australia, no. and, and um, it just makes me wonder uh, just how, how uh, long it'll take the, uh, the financial backers of these these, these outfits to yeah. work that out. Because uh, as I've said before, my concern is that uh, when it's not working out, when they're operating uh, on too low a volume base, right. and when they're uh, offering rates that are too low, right. uh, the people who miss out are the blokes who actually do the work. The subcontractors, right. all the carriers, right. you know, like right. big carriers even use local, which I understand that in yeah. the States, and I suppose they do here too. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know where it all might lead, but right. it's just my concern that yeah. it's, we don't need it. Uh, like, it's looking at it from the point of view of a, an owner-operator owner and still involved with a, a, a successful um, carrier who bought my equipment off me and has right. kept me on as a part-time you know, I'm about profitability, about right. running the truck for a profit, about right. having a business here next week, next month, next year for the employees to right. be part of. Right. Uh, and um, two and two don't make seven, yeah. never have and never yeah. will. Yeah. So uh, we really don't need another component in the marketplace right. depressing the market. So 
What we can do about it, I don't know, but I'm interested. I was interested to know what your thoughts. Yeah, there's probably there's probably sections of the market where it works, where where there's inconsistent volumes, where shippers don't know who the carriers are. You know, it's like a it's like a dating, you know, website where you can you know people can find each other. Yeah. If you've got a lot of freight moving and a lot of trucks that don't know where the freight is, then the broker can be a good matching service. Yeah. Um, the, the problem, though, with the, the digital freight brokers we've seen is it was when the market tightened and rates dropped, it was a race to the bottom because they were always trying to offer a cheap shipper a cheaper rate, but they were trying to buy the capacity at an even lower rate. That's been my concern all through on and this. And then it's a race to the bottom. And, and then, then as well as the margin rate, Labor's charging the shipper and what he's offering the carrier. Right. They then decide they want fifteen percent of it. Right. Of that uh, article can animate the out on yeah. on, on uh, right. Well, that's uh, where you need to know your costs, right? Because yes, right. in the in a market, free market where you've got supply and demand that work, um, you know the the biggest problem that we've got in the states is carriers don't know their operating costs. They don't know where to price their load at. Right. And and the broker's trying to make a margin, like you can't begrudge anybody trying to make a profit. No, only well, they're in business to, to, to right. survive. I so, understand that. So, yeah. But if you if you don't understand your operating costs, you're going to get squeezed out of the market eventually yeah. when the market yeah. turns because transport globally is a very you know boom and bust. Maybe very maybe, competitive. Yeah, it, it's always there's always cycles, yeah. and in the states, the cycle lasts. Um, on average, um, seventeen to twenty months on average, and we're at the bottom of this cycle. So here's what's happening now is after after 18 months of rates dropping and, and capacity leaving the industry and carriers you know going bankrupt and selling their trucks and getting out yeah. we're going to work for a big fleet. The shippers that create the demand that we talk to in DAT's world are acutely aware that when the market turns, there's going to be fewer trucks and they're going to pay through the nose. That's right. So, yeah. so it's, it's this market cycle where the, the longer-term veterans who put money away for the rainy day, this isn't their first... Quiet market, not their la- not their first or last radio. They're going to be well positioned for <laughs> yes. the next upturn in the market. No, right. yeah, so yeah. what we're left with in the states is a lot of the carriers that joined when money was falling from the skies are disappearing because they didn't have a business plan to survive. They didn't put money away, yeah. and and whereas the the veterans in the industry paid down debt, uh, sold off some excess equipment. Got, got even deeper with their shippers, but built more partnerships. Yeah, built equity in their business. Yeah, yeah but they, were, they said to the shippers, look, when the market turns, you're going to need capacity yeah. to move these lanes. I'm here 52 weeks of the year. Like, yeah. I'm just not going to be here today and gone tomorrow. No, that's fair enough. Well, what, the smart shippers are aware of that. What amazes me is uh, there's current debate on um, uh, pages of Overdrive magazine and on the uh, emails, of course, Ken Adamo's got involved in it yep. about the, uh, the, the commission for, right. for, the, for the load boards yep. and 15% seems right. to be about the, the average yep. over there now. Um, there's probably quite a few loads on, um, uh, say, the M, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, that probably mm-hmm. operate for around about four grand um, gross right. on a D-double. Right. 15% of four grand is $600. Right. $600 is the difference between going broke and, and, and paying your fuel bill or your driver's wages right. now. What amazes me is why why is it up to the carrier who's performing the service and doing the actual work? Why is it up to the carrier to come up with that fifteen percent? And in my view, it should be the shipper. Right. Well, so, so in, in the states, that's how it works. It's like the all in the, the, the broker is going to quote the shipper what it costs. They're going to yeah. they're going to cover their margin. Now, 
if the carrier doesn't know their operating costs, they can absorb some of that 15% unknowingly. Exactly. So, yeah. so this is where it all comes down to yeah. knowing what yeah. your operating yeah. costs yeah. are. Yeah. So I see, if, if you said, what's the one thing carriers don't do well in the States? It's deal from weakness. They deal from a position of weakness because they don't know what their operating costs are and they don't know where to stand their ground. Yeah. And, they're, and they're just trying to generate as much cash as they can to pay the fuel bill. Yeah, that's Whereas right. far yeah. more than that. And I think, I think that's been true of the industry out here for many, many years, and, and hopefully it's it's less true now than it was maybe when, uh, yeah. uh, as Jeffrey Frost wrote, they came in waves after the Second right. World War when right. everyone bought a truck, right. and that's right. what's happened yeah. since the pandemic in America, obviously. So it is all cyclical, but, uh, you know, and there's probably not a lot we can do about these labels. They're probably going to come whether we want them to or not, but... There's a lot of people talking about reforming the industry and improving things in the industry where things need improving. And uh, these uh, these uh, digital freight breakers seem to be just turning up and uh, multiplying week by week and uh, no one's doing anything about it. And uh, just uh, we're probably waiting for the flak to hit the fan and do something about it then rather than say, now hang about, what, uh, you know, what can we do to sort of make this work properly? There's an inevitability about that. There is, right? yes. Because That's my concern. You said it a little while ago, like, and, and I'm struck here as I come home after all these years. Yeah. Um, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Yeah, it's the that, same. That's been the same. my theme for a so, while. So think back to when I was at the ATA. We wrote the economic viability report yes, in yeah. the nineties, nineteen ninety four. Right, it says right. on mine. Nothing has changed no, since then because no, no. the viability is still a question and an issue. Yeah, because yeah. and it's it comes down to specialisation. Like yeah. if you're in the freight business in inverted commas, where the lowest common denominator is say a flat top van, it's hard to differentiate yourself. But if you invest in a little bit more specialised equipment and find a shipper or a customer that can work with you on that volume, then then where the broker comes in is getting you back to that hometown shipper. Right? Because a lot of carriers, and here it's a little bit different because this is, this is a smaller market. We know where all the freight it's is. It's not as dynamic in any right. way, shape or form. But in it? the States, you could run 48 states and never get home the entire year. But you could be running out of Chicago to Fargo, North Dakota, and, and you would have no way of knowing what freight's in Fargo, North Dakota, unless you call the broker, who's got a thousand loads to move that. Fair freight. enough. Yeah, so that's yeah. why the, the yeah. population in the US so is spread. So the broker would be doing well to have a thousand loads a year to move here. Right. So that's yeah. why that's why it works in the states because of the volume of loads, but also the volatility. But remember, it's also a lot of freight comes from areas where. There's freight out, but no freight in. Yes, yeah, so it's a that like, issue too. Like you avoid citrus out of Mundumbra, right? Yes, you know, yes. you might have a load of pallets up there, but you've got to run deadhead up there to empty to get in there to load out again. So yes, yes. that is an even bigger problem in the States where you, you've got an empty mile component, you've got to calculate. And in, and if you run in the spot market, it's hard to do that because you never know where the next load's going to Well, are there carriers over there that run entirely in the spot market? Or yes. Or they just... Really? There are, and it's surprising, wow. Bob. Yeah. Um, the successful ones have about a 50-50 mix. Right. So most of the small fleets in the States have a hometown customer they work for, yeah. and they've got to get back, though, to load those 10 trailers every Friday. Yeah, right. And they use the spot market and the brokers to get back, right? Because right? they, the, they don't have the back office marketing staff no. to be soliciting freight yeah, in Dubbo, yeah. for example. Mm. Now, where, where so this... this who uses the spot market and brokers are not the small carriers. It's counterintuitive. It's not owner-operators or small fleets. Oh. It's mid-sized fleets with 40 to 100 trucks because they're too big for the hometown shipper. They're not big enough to get a massive contract. Sure. And they have to rely on the spot market. Right. So it's yeah. it's the yeah. mid-sized fleet that 
works mostly in the spot market, and that's where the brokers work for those shippers that, you know, don't have enough volume that a KNS freighters could just say, yeah, we'll do all of your freight all yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they need they need a really good mix of freight to keep all of their trucks moving because they don't specialise in any one market or locality. It's kind of counterintuitive. I always yeah. thought it would be the smaller fleets. Yeah, no, yeah, it's not. yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah, well, you know, there's obviously many, many differences between um, uh, the freight market and the freight industry, the road freight industry in particular, yeah. even the rail freight industry yeah. for that matter, yeah. between the States and Australia, just the way uh, things happen between the eastern and western seaboards yeah. in, in America. It's so what totally mind-boggling to uh, what happens with, with, with uh, yeah. the shipping in Australia. A lot of similarities between Australia and the US in many respects. It's yeah. Australia's about a 10% scale model of the US. We're far more regulated here, but far more productive. Yeah. But the, the thing that I will tell you after being away 23 years is just because it works here doesn't mean it'll work in the States. Oh, just because that. it works in the States doesn't mean it'll work here. Yeah. I have personal experience with technology from Australia that sounded great. You get to America and they roll their eyes at you. <laughs> and you think, wow, like we thought this was pretty cool. Yeah. So one yeah. of the biggest mistakes Australian companies make is going to America thinking that what they do here is going to change. That's a ticket to, to bigger success. It's to scale. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to scale technology in the States. It's such a massive industry yeah. where you've got a very anti-trucking rail lobby. Yeah. Right, so it's not like here in Australia where trucking can be fairly progressive and, and dynamic and creative. Yeah. In the States, there's a there's active people trying to suppress productivity and regulatory progress. Right. Well, now, you do you do see uh, you do see, you do see um, some um, interesting trailers on the roads in the States, like yeah. some tries and yeah. some spreads and everything else. Yeah. Uh, do they have an advantage or is that just referring to say? Uh, you can run uh, a, lot of, a lot of regional trucks, like a lot of gasoline tankers, petrol tankers can run triaxles, yeah. but in a region like Massachusetts, New uh, yeah, Hampshire, right. Maine, you, yeah. you can't run across border um, without permits. It's, a, it's an 18 wheeler tandem axle, your bogey bogey combination, 80,000 pounds. Um, I've done the math. Australian trucks carry 34% more weight in less length on worse roads than the Americans. <laughs> Isn't that it's, true? It's, it, yeah. you should, they should be running B-triples, BAB pods on a lot of the highways over there. They should be, yeah. They, yeah. Run, they run a double, like they call it a turnpike double. Yeah. They only run on limited access turnpikes, very few entry exit ramps. Yeah. Well, we, we've had a lot of issues with access to PBS uh, units out here, but the, right. the, the, the NHVR has been a great job of improving right. that, right. Right. and even as far as... Yeah. Where you can take road trains now, where you right. couldn't before, and in my case, big triples. Well, right. just years that I ran that yeah. big triple coast to coast, uh, yeah. the improvements in South Australia, they, uh, they saved me a lot of time yeah. and a lot of money yeah. and made a big difference to my bottom line. Well, think about you know, nineties, the nineties when we started voluntary self accreditation with mass yeah. Yeah. truck safety, yeah. which we were both part of. Well, logic yes. was always make regulations economically affordable and carriers will buy in, so yeah. give them regulatory exemptions for higher levels yeah. of compliance. Yeah. And you get a better outcome than just roadside enforcement and punitive damages. Yeah. I've, I've tried that in the States. Elements of truck safety are written into the FAST Act. Yeah. But it, it, again, you run into the anti trucking lobby groups. Yeah, very powerful yeah, which we, don't, we don't seem to have that as, as, as significant. Yeah, very there, must be, there must be anti truck lobbying groups here because there's been all sorts of drama with access in parts of Melbourne and yeah. all that sort of thing. Well, and, you know, and, the uh, people. 
people that buy the freight we haul yeah. don't really appreciate how hard no, this industry there's, is. There's a lot of there's a lot of NIMBY around some <laughs> some of these places, some of these people. <laughs> Even yeah, people see a truck as a you know a necessary inconvenience a lot of the time. They don't yeah, really appreciate. Right, yeah. I always say to people, you know, you want fresh you want fresh bananas and avocados, you know, at the store in the morning, but you know, you don't really think about what it takes to get there or the risks we take to try and get there overnight. And I don't think in any other country it's as the freight task is compressed into a shorter period of time as here. I defy anybody to run fourteen hours a night on long distance freight and 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 be of good sound mind after years of doing it. That is incredibly hard work. So does that mean you're acknowledging that I'm still a sound mind? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Man, you, you can come anytime you like. You think? figured out the science of sleep. <laughs> you figured out how to yeah, sleep. No, you help me do it. It's actually. the key. Yes, it is. Yes. The circadian rhythms are uh, ignored even by our regulators a little bit. But uh, we'll, we'll do that subject another day. Well, because we can do about 17 recordings on that subject. I'm doing a six-part blog series starting this week on the science of sleep and the art okay. of napping. All right. Because... Without that, trucking's hard. Yeah, it's yeah. a grind. No, it is. If you yeah, figure out, yeah. you know, Bob, it's been... That's part understood. of being true to yourself, which is one of my tips I made. Right. Well, until I understood it, it was yeah. like looking through life with a camera lens slightly out of focus. Yeah. Once you understood the sleep component, everything became clear. Yeah. I never had ever such a subtle change yeah. in the timing of everything. No, that's right. Yeah. That's why we had children when we were young, because we can do with those right. interruptions to right. our sleep. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Dean. Great thanks thanks for coming home to see us. Because uh, I don't think I'll ever get over there to see you. I'm getting on a bit now. Right. But uh, we've uh, we've had some wonderful times and shared some wonderful experiences Great and stories you. together. And uh, let's keep doing it forever. Right. Thanks, Bob. Okay. Be safe, everyone. Yeah, see you later. This has been Bob McMillan. Thanks for listening. And uh, this will be a bit hard to match. Catch you later. Have you ever come up behind a caravan wearing a big green sticker that says I'm truck friendly? It's simply telling you that the driver you're following is a part of a growing safety-minded community of caravanners who actually want to help other road users, have a good understanding of safe towing practices and have a UHF radio switched on and ready to communicate. If you too want to be a part of the solution and not the problem, find out more about the great truck-friendly caravan road safety program by visiting their Facebook page or website at www.truckfriendly.com.au. Here's Andy's music time machine. Time machine. Time machine. Welcome back to The Time Machine for another episode in our summer music series. This week we feature an artist who was active on the Aussie music scene from the late 1960s through to the noughties and he was blessed with one of the biggest rock voices to ever come out of this country. He had a couple of massive hits in the 70s, but like so many of the artists and bands from the 70s and 80s we've featured across this series thus far, It was as a live performer that he gathered a huge following of dedicated fans who would travel for miles just to get to see and hear this legend live. See if this song gets your memory bells ringing.
The song is called Fool in Love and the artist is none other than the 70s rock icon Jeff St John. Born in Newtown in Sydney in 1946, St John went on to front a number of bands across the years. The Wild Oats, The ID, Yama, Red Cloud and the band he was best known for, Jeff St John and Copper Wine. Born with a spinal cord defect known as spina bifida, St John spent most of his life in a wheelchair, but that didn't in any way slow down his hyper-energetic stage performance. He'd have that wheelchair rocking from wheel to wheel and popping wheelies across the stage. Now, if you can picture in your mind a young Frank Zappa, that was the look that St John wore so well, and his image was purely rock and roll all the way. He featured as the subject of the TV documentary series The Australians in an episode titled Jeff St. John, Rock and Roll Man, the title borrowed from one of his many successful singles of the same name. He sang the national anthem at the opening of the 2000 Paralympics in Sydney with a truly unique and stirring rendition of our national song that inspired many to say, now that is how the national anthem should be sung. Besides his monumental contribution to the Australian music industry across his long career, he always found time to work as an advocate for people with disabilities. At one time, at a concert he gave for a group of kids at a school for children with disabilities, staff and families of the kids were astounded by the number of children who were rocking along with the music, many of whom hadn't shown any real movement for years. Such was the infectious joy of a Jeff St. John performance. 
I had the pleasure of meeting Jeff a few times over the years, usually at our favourite watering hole, the St. Leonard's Hotel in Sydney, a pub incidentally often unfortunately referred to as the bloodbath for reasons I never quite knew or understood. Now you'd know if Jeff was there, his Harley-Davidson wheelchair-equipped trike would be parked outside, always in the no-standing zone, and you'd walk inside to see him there at the bar, drink in one hand, cigarette in the other, and that cheeky grin on his face that made you smile as well. St John recorded six albums over the years and released a number of singles. Sadly, on the 6th of March in 2018, struck down by a bacterial infection following surgery at a hospital in Perth, the wonderful Jeff St John passed away. There were hundreds and hundreds of messages from shocked and saddened members of the music industry following his death, but one thing remains certain. The influence and the mark he made on Australian music will never be forgotten. To close out the Jeff St John story, here he is with his band Copper Wine with his biggest hit, the anthemic Aussie rock music milestone, Teach Me How to Fly.
mate. Got you go. Mate, we're coming up that level crossing we were talking about before. Looks like we're going to be stopping. Roger that. Look at the size of that thing. They tell me they take about two k's to stop. That's like 20 times the length of the MCG. We've got to be playing chicken with that. Yeah, copy that. They can't exactly swerve either, can they? They're stuck to the tracks, mate. <laughs> It's not that hard to wait till it's safe to cross and make sure the road's clear on the other side. Yeah, not like that bloke last week who forgot about the length of his trailer. Yeah, I heard about that one. It's not really funny though when you think about it. Poor old train driver, probably been having nightmares ever since. Yeah, I reckon. We're all in the same boat really, mate. Everyone just wants to get home safe at the end of the day. Yeah, not wrong on that one. There goes the last carriage. Looks like we're safe to head off now. Thanks, Mike. Long way to go. After you, old mate. This is a message from Queensland Rail reminding us that it's important to stay alert and obey any signs and signals when approaching level crossings to help keep you and everyone else safe. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. Taking us out of this week's show, it's the wonderful Felicity Urquhart and Josh Cunningham. Nominated for no less than six awards at the upcoming Golden Guitar Awards at Tamworth, from their latest album of the same name, here's Felicity and Josh with Birdsong. Cicadas by 
the Road is brought to you by Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. And NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Until next week, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye-bye. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. 